Welcome to the Mainline Podcast. I'm Adam Jacquez, joined this evening by Tyler Burton. We've got a loaded weekend, uh, I guess a weekend series of different Sooner sports that have just occurred. Baseball got their series win against a top 25 opponent in TCU. Softball swept the weekend as well with a couple of top 25 wins. You've got women's basketball uh, finishing up their March Madness run. We'll cover that. Uh, but I think we got to start with with spring practice, which just kicked off today in Norman. Uh, but before we jump into that, Tyler, how are you doing? I'm doing good, man. Uh, had a good weekend. I uh, was a little bit under the weather, but finally on the other side of that. So things are looking better. I'm um, excited for the week that's upcoming. We've got spring football that kicked off today in Norman. Excited to talk about guys, you know, making plays in t-shirt and shorts uh, and all the many things that we're going to learn about that. We're going to talk about the rep count, who took what snaps, uh, you know, what uh, what these guys looked like. But no, a lot of really good things on the horizon. Obviously, women's basketball, you know, their season coming to a close last night. We'll touch on that towards the end of the episode. But yeah, man, we got to talk about spring practice getting underway. Team 129 uh, is people. If you uh, follow us on social media at the Mainline Pod, you saw the kind of the teaser video that Adam's been working on for a little while. He dropped that earlier today. You can also catch it on our YouTube page as well. Uh, like, comment, and subscribe at the Mainline Podcast. But yeah, man, it's football time in Oklahoma. Excited that it's finally here. Yeah, that teaser video has done so well. It's got a couple thousand views within the first 24 hours. If yeah. I, I assume everyone's seen it at this point, but if for some reason you've been living under a rock and you haven't seen it, uh, that's linked in our show notes. Uh, both YouTube and Twitter will take you right to that video. Um, it's a fun little teaser that gets you ready for for spring practice. And like you mentioned, it is kind of the uh, the time of year where we we get on the hype train a little bit. We see these guys in shorts, no pads really other than a helmet. Uh, we got our first taste of that, something that, um, we're still kind of getting used to with Brent Venables and the access that he's giving the media right at that right now. But uh, we saw some videos come across our Twitter timeline mm-hmm. this afternoon. We got to see Jackson Arnold and pad. Uh, we got to see all, you know, a whole bunch of different players. Our first look at some of them maybe ever, but uh, some of them have done some body transformations, um, you know, in the off season. So um, a lot of things to get excited about. Let's start, I guess, on the offensive line here. I think that's an interesting group. There's uh, some new guys coming in, some guys that are still sitting out spring like Walter Rouse. And, mm-hmm. uh, but, you know, I, I think it's a group that we're looking to see a lot more consistency from going into this season. Yeah, absolutely. And it was good to, you know, the videos that are coming out all over social media from guys on the beat covering this team out there at spring practice today for day one. Uh, good to see Andrew Rain back out there moving around. You've got Tyler Guyton, you know, playing out there at one of the tackle positions. Bill Beanbow was coaching him pretty hard from some of the videos and footage that we saw. So uh, hitting the ground running on day one. Walter House, obviously, we know is going to be missing, you know, spring practice. But, you know, he's a he's a grad transfer from Stanford. Kind of feel like he's going to he's going to, you know, have the, a success significant portion of the first team reps once we get into fall camp he's probably going to have one of those two uh tackle spots locked down but it, it was also you know good to see what uh, what a guy like Caden Green looks in uniform looks like in uniform and he definitely does look the part true freshman out of Kansas City Missouri biggest thing that I kind of took away from you know going down the roster sheet uh that Oklahoma put out a little bit earlier today with the guys you know with the updated you know height and weight it was Savion Bird all the way down at 283 pounds shed a pretty decent amount of weight uh, compared to you know whenever he played uh, against Florida State just a few months ago so we talked about it you know Adam over the course of winter workouts a full offseason with Schmitty what's the transformation process going to look like and it's pretty clear that one of the goals for Jerry Schmidt you know with working with Bill Beanbow and the rest of that strength and conditioning staff trimming the fat 
off of these offensive linemen, shedding some of the bad weight, replacing it with good, clean muscle. Uh, obviously, Savion Bird walking around at a trim and ready, 283 pounds. We'll see what that looks like once we, you know, once we get out of spring football, once we get through uh, summer conditioning, and what it looks like when uh, when we, uh, you know, kick things off here in September. But yeah, a lot of good things uh, to, to look forward to about the offensive line. Obviously, when you're replacing two, you know, NFL draft pick tackles that Oklahoma is going to have here in the next month or so, um, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of uncertainty, but there's also a lot of really good pieces that are still on that roster right now to go along with the new faces like a Caden Green, a Walter Rouse, maybe an Aaron Parks. Maybe this is an opportunity where the light finally clicks for him, uh, and he's able to come in and contribute in a big way. But yeah, gotta like what you've seen from the offensive line, and it's an exciting group as we cover spring football moving forward. I'm definitely hoping to see some more depth develop there and potentially some guys get unseated from, you know, the mm-hmm. starting positions that they had last year. I think uh, in 2022, we saw some guys, won't name names, but we all know who we're talking about here that kind of just had their starting role locked down really because no one was behind them pushing them. Um, but I think some of the younger guys are going to come in and, and do a better job of that. So we'll see if uh, there's any position battles that get real serious there. And Andrew Rame is a guy that, you know, he hasn't, He's, he's battled a lot of injuries, mainly in the offseason and in the spring. And so uh, we, we knock on wood, of course, that that doesn't happen <laughs> anytime over the next couple of weeks, of course. But I think this is an important time for him to start to reach maybe the full potential that, that we think he has the ability to do uh, as, a, as a Sooner. Um, now, on the ends of the line, uh, Brent Venables mentioned in his press conference on Monday that there's some injuries in the tight end room. No Jason Llewellyn, no Caden Helms this spring. So uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think I'm missing anybody. There's no early enrollees in the tight end room. So that basically just leaves Austin Stogner to take up all the yeah. reps at that position, which I think it's it's easy to forget that, yeah, he's familiar with OU. So he doesn't have to adjust in that manner, but it is a totally new offense for him. So he's figured uh-huh. out a lot of things there and um, he'll really get the opportunity to entrench himself as that main guy. Yeah, you've got the transfer from Texas A&M, Blake Smith. But Adam, you're right, no doubt about it. This is Austin Stogner's time. You know, it's great to have him back. Uh, he's put on some good size and weight since we last saw him in an Oklahoma uniform. Uh, it's six foot six, two hundred fifty-five pounds. Almost kind of looks like Mark Andrews 2.0 uh, out there in uniform. The way that he moves around, catching the football. This is a big spring for Stog because he is the guy. Braden Willis is gone. Daniel Parker isn't here anymore, as you alluded to. Caden Helms, Jace Llewellyn are going to miss an extended amount of time of the spring practice, if not all of spring practice. So, uh, you know, it's your time, kid. I mean, we're at a point right now where, you know, he's been back on campus for, for a while. He's slowly learning the playbook you know, continuing to develop that uh, that relationship and that chemistry, uh, you know, with Dylan Gabriel and the other quarterbacks. So it's going to be a uh, it's going to be a big challenge for Joe John Finley to get Stogner ready. Um, and you know, this is kind of one of those things, Adam. Where could it possibly be? You know, kind of a little bit of a blessing that you might have a couple of those other guys in the tight end room that aren't going to be able to go through spring practice for at least the you know the first few weeks. So you're able to get Stogner, you know, more reps, get him, you know, more comfortable in this system. And you know, you got to get this boy up to speed because uh, kickoffs is about you know a little over five months away. Uh, and you know, there's we're not going to gain any pity or uh, you know n- nobody's going to feel sorry for Oklahoma or Austin Stogner. Uh, the fact that he's only been back on campus for a few months. I agree. I, at the same time, I also would really like to see what Caden Helms can do. Um, Absolutely. We, we, we saw very much of him at all last year. He was a true freshman. Um, and, and you certainly don't want him to lose time that he could be developing his body this spring. Um, but I think he could be a, a, a potential receiving weapon for, for this offense. And 
Um, I would just really like to be able to see that. And I think it'd be good, even if he just went out in a spring game and, and did something that was, you know, a touchdown, you know, catch, for example, um, because you always have that transfer portal in the back of your mind on some of these younger guys that maybe haven't done anything as of yet. Um, so you'd like to be able to see someone like him potentially go out and have some success. But, you know, injuries are, are part of the game. You just got you just got to work through that. Some other position groups that we want to talk about were wide receivers. We don't have any early enrollees coming in there. So again, it's an opportunity for guys that are already on campus on this team that we were either familiar with last year, or maybe a new transfer like Andrew Anthony out of Michigan to come in and start establishing themselves. And uh-huh. obviously there's a big void to fill with Marvin Mims off to the NFL. We all like Farouk. We all know Drake Stoops. Um, so then you've got some guys like DJ Graham and, and Anthony, who we mentioned a moment ago. Um, let's, let's focus on DJ Graham a little bit. It's very unusual that a guy that had, you know, moderate success as a defensive back switches over to offense. Like, what can we really expect out of someone like him? I think it's a big ask, Adam. And, you know, not to. Not to downplay what this kid's capable of doing because obviously he was recruited out of high school as an elite wide receiver, you know, out of the state of Texas. So the kid has some familiar familiarity. He's played the position at a high level in Texas high school football. But you know, Adam, when you look at the the wide receiver core um, <laughs> that that Emma Jones has inherited, what he's going to have to coach up uh, for for this upcoming season, I really kind of break this group up into into three separate categories. Number one, you've got the proven commodities like you alluded to, Jalil Farouk. You know the uh, the renowned favorite. To he's going to be wide receiver number one. You know what he's capable of. Drake Stoops, Mr. Consistency. You know what 12 is going to get you. You know, he's going to pick up, you know, he's going to be a threat down the field, uh, you know, on those wheel routes. He's going to be the guy that you throw the ball to on third and six when you need seven. So we know what we've got in those two guys. But then you've got your second group. Uh, is, I call it the now or never cast, where you've got guys like LV Bunkley Shelton, JJ Huster. I'm going to throw DJ Graham into this category as well. You've been in a Division one college football program for multiple years now. DJ Graham's maybe a little bit of an exception. He's going to be playing a new position for the first time full time uh, in an Oklahoma uniform. But these are guys that they've been on campus for a while and Mar- no Marvin Mims. There's going to be a lot of reps to go around in that wide receiver position room. This is an opportunity for Bunkley Shelton, for JJ Hester. If you're, you didn't transfer to Oklahoma to ride the bench for two to three years. So this is your opportunity to go out there, use this, you know, use this, uh, spring camp to almost kind of be like a springboard uh, into next season where, you know, uh, you know, not just Dylan Gabriel, but, you know, Davis Bevel, uh, Jackson Arnold, Jeff Levy have confidence in you uh, to be able to not just put you out there, you know, to, to run block, but they also have confidence in you that we can throw the ball to you downfield, you know, in a, in a tight matchup late in the fourth quarter. So, and then finally for me, Adam, my final group that I'm going to jump the rest of these guys, lump the rest of these guys into, it's the show me more crowd. Jane Gibson, Nick Anderson, both guys that were very limited in their action uh, from a year ago. Nick Anderson was, you know, obviously banged up, dealt with some injuries all season long. Gavin Freeman, one of the highlights uh, of all of last year was the first touch that uh, that he took in the in the opening game, the the touchdown. Um, I want to see a little bit more of what Gavin Freeman can do going into his sophomore year, and then Andrell Anthony, the Michigan transfer. We've seen the highlights. We've seen you know how how capable of a you know big play threat he can be down the field, especially once he's got the ball in his hands, the speed, uh, the uh, the ability to make guys miss. Uh, I want to see a lot, a lot more out of Gibson, Anderson, Freeman, and, and obviously Andre Anthony. So on paper, Adam, and I'm not even going to mention, I'm not going to, th- I'm not even going to include Jaquez Petaway, Keon Brown, both big time recruits, both highly touted guys that are going to be joining 
this squad this upcoming summer. I'm going to kind of leave them out right now. You just look at this roster right now. Outside of Jalil Farouk and Drake Stoops, there's really not a whole lot. Uh, there's really not a whole lot to write home about uh, when you talk about you know proven guys uh, that that can catch the football. And uh, Emmett Jones has got his work cut out for him in year one. Uh, that's for sure. You got to go back at least like 15 years. And I, I did the research. It's been a little while, a couple months, but you have to go back a long time to find the leading returning receiver for an Oklahoma Oklahoma offense that had stats that were somewhat similar to Farouk, which was like 400 yards or so. Um, so yeah, not a lot of production there. You, you mentioned Drake Stoops a moment ago and called him Mr. Consistent. I wonder if, to me, that's the natural kind of way to describe his role but it feels like it almost puts a ceiling on him to call him Mr. Consistent in, in that manner. And I was looking at it earlier. He actually doubled the amount of yards uh, from his uh, 2021 season into his 2022 season, 391 was what he had last year. And this year, assuming things go according to plan, you know, Dylan Gabriel will be his quarterback for the second straight year, something he really hasn't had throughout his entire career. He had Jalen Hurts. Uh, he had Spencer Rattler. He had a little bit of Spencer Rattler, a little bit of Caleb Williams in 2021. Then he was on Dylan Gabriel. And now he has the opportunity to have Dylan Gabriel again, assuming that, you know, Jackson Arnold doesn't take over or something crazy. Um, do you think that maybe we could be surprised by what Drake Stoops could could put out for this season? I definitely think that Drake Stoops has an opportunity to be more than just a possession guy. He, he has an opportunity to, you know, to – I think that sometimes because we see, you know, a short, you know, white slot receiver, we automatically want to lump them in the category of Wes Welker or a Danny Amendola, which, you know, both, you know, extremely successful, you know, high caliber football players at the next level. But I think that Drake has an opportunity, especially going into his final season at Oklahoma, to be more than just a guy that catches a slant on third and five or just be more than a possession guy that you need to throw him a ball uh, in order to pick up a first down. I think that, you know, I've said from the get-go, Oklahoma will never win a national championship when you've got to rely on somebody like Drake Stoops to be the difference maker in your offense. And, and I don't say that as any slide towards Drake, but I definitely think that he has an opportunity this year where coming into this season, outside of Jalil Farouk, I mean, he, he's the best thing that you've got. And, and he's a really good talent, and he's going to have, have an opportunity this year to build upon what he's done in his first few seasons in Norman. So, yeah, I definitely think that uh, we can raise the scene a little bit uh, on, on Drake Stoops because it's another year in this system with Jeff Levy. It's another year where he's got the chemistry and the comfort level with Dylan Gabriel. So uh, I think that we would be foolish to expect that, uh, that Drake Stoops is going to do anything but take his game to the next level. Yeah. Any anyone else on offense that you want to cover before we jump to defense? Running back is I, I don't have too much to add on running back position. I mean, you know, Marcus Major led things off today. I mean, we kind of feel like we know uh, Marcus Major right now what he's capable of. Obviously, we hope he can stay healthy. But, you know, Javante Barnes, Gavin Sawchuck, that's the two headed monster that Oklahoma fans are super excited about. Then you've got the two, you know, true freshmen that were early enrollees in Caleb Hicks and Dalen Smothers, who if you go watch some of the videos that got released out of practice today, two guys that don't really look like true freshmen, especially uh, Caleb Hicks. So uh, it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. And, and again, spring practice is an opportunity for you know n not just you know us as fans or media members, you know, just to um, you know talk about and try to project what this team could do. You know, once kickoff comes in September, but it's an opportunity for us to get out there and you know see the starting point. 
as we sit here on March 21st, and we're, we're able to see where this team is at right now, and we're able to watch them grow and continue to progress into ultimately what they're going to become when they line up in Week One, and ultimately how the season's going to play out. Uh, you know, as we uh, roll into late December, early January, so it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Running back is definitely one uh, where I'm not worried about uh, as an Oklahoma fan. Not worried either, and I think it's probably one of the few positions in the spring game uh, and just spring practice in general where you go, ah, I'm not going to take too much away from any of that because there's just, you know, it's, it's hard to measure that position group. We've seen lots of guys have great spring games that have done nothing as a Sooner. So, yeah, um, yeah, it just stay healthy is, is really the name. Absolutely. The yeah. Defensively, Brent Venable said in his press conference, this defense will be on a different planet this season as compared to last year. How much do you think that we can, I guess, determine from spring practice what we are able to see and glean from the practices and the practices themselves? And then the spring game on April 22nd, how much are we going to be able to see if this defense has really truly taken a step forward? I'm not putting any stock into what I see this spring from a performance standpoint that's going to give me any any feeling one way or another on what I expect this team to look like, uh, you know, come, you know, come the month of September. So I think that there is one thing that you can kind of take away from spring football as it pertains to this defense. And again, not to talk about the, you know, the length and girth report that's become famous on this <laughs> podcast, but it, it is fun to see. And it's exciting, especially as Oklahoma is going to be transitioning from the big 12 conference into the sec, where you're going to get into those dog fights every weekend in, in the fall where, you know, you're going up against guys that are, you know, eight, 10, 12 bodies deep in the trenches, especially on the defensive of the line. So it was nice and it was you know really exciting uh, to see once that roster got put out this put out earlier today where long gone are the days where Oklahoma is rolling out there with 220 pound you know defensive ends 225 pound edge guys you've got a true freshman in PJ Atabares who stepped foot on campus 6'4", 240 pounds is just barely scratching the surface both athletically but also physically what he's going to grow into over his time in Norman you look at a guy like R. Mason Thomas up 17 pounds from 222 to 239 my god what a difference a winner makes with Jerry Schmidt in the weight room uh, he looks like a different dude altogether ethan downs curious to see if there's a little bit of three technique in this kid's future he's put on 10 pounds of muscle he's all the way up to you know surpassing 270 pounds and then we know what we've got in the middle with jordan kelly with isaiah co both guys that have put on a little bit of good weight hovering around that 290 to 300 pound range right now uh i i'm very optimistic about what this defensive line and edge group can do. But as far as expectations, or do I think that there's anything that we're going to learn about this defense as a whole from watching you know, the spring game, a glorified scrimmage, I'm not putting any stock in it whatsoever. We'll see what it looks like when the lights are on uh, and this team plays, uh, plays for real here in about six months. Yeah, you mentioned R. Mason Thomas going up to 239 pounds. I think that's really encouraging. He was a guy that definitely looked small last year. Yeah. And- we definitely need more of these younger guys to step up and start playing major roles. And we didn't see enough of that from freshmen last year. This year, you got some a little bit higher quality freshmen coming in, like PJ Adabare, for example. He comes in today at the same weight and two inches taller than our Mason Thomas, uh, yep. you know, as it is in him in his second year. So I'm I'm excited to see what he's able to do. You know, is he able to continue to add weight throughout the summer and the rest of spring? and go into that, you know, true freshman year. He's definitely got a lot more talent than our Mason Thomas. I don't think that's any disrespect to 
RMT. It's just PJ's on a, on a different level. Uh-huh. Um, but I'm excited to see guys come in a little bit more ready to play, hopefully, and a little bit more ready to contribute at, at a higher level. And then I think another one, I, I can't recall exactly who tweeted this out because literally everybody uh, you know, was, was tweeting it. It may have been George Stoya, uh, who was on our podcast like, what, two weeks ago? If you haven't listened Friend to that, of the podcast, sure Mr. Stoya. Yeah. Make sure to go back and check that. It may have been George that tweeted this out, but he had a, a video of Desan McCullough, um, you know, running a quick drill. And the, the difference, you know, obviously we're super excited about him, but I think the difference in what he'll be able to do versus Deshaun White, I think he's probably going to bring more speed to that that uh, cheetah role. But the height difference, an extra five inches at the same weight, and the amount of bend and flexibility that you can already see in just those drills is is on a different level. The dude's six foot five, and he's doing some things that, you know, guys that size shouldn't be able to do. Um, so I think you got to love the ability and that that extra length is going to help. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Adam, that's one of the things when, when you look at what Oklahoma has done uh, in the recruiting cycles, each of the last couple of years that Brent Venables has taken over during his time in Norman, the thing that is, that, that is so interesting to me is the guys, the, the cal the level of guy, uh, caliber guys, excuse me, uh, that Brent Venables has been able to bring in each of the last couple of seasons, not just from an athleticism standpoint, but when you're talking about size and stature, just going down the list here, Makari Vickers, 6'1", 195, Peyton Bowen, 6'195", Kendall Do- Do- Dolby, the uh, JUCO transfer, 6'1", 190. We're recruiting guys out of high school or even out of the, the JUCO ranks that coming in as true freshmen – are already the same size as what Oklahoma has had for basically from their guys at the same positions when they're upperclassmen. So as you were talking about with PJ Adabari, who's showing up on campus at 6'4", 240 pounds, he's already the same size as uh, R. Mason Thomas, who's been in this program for almost two years now. So again, when you talk about recruiting, what separates you, what separates the Alabamas and the Georgias and the Ohio States, when you can bring in those high four- and five-star guys on a consistent basis, those blue-chip recruits, uh, as, as the popular term is, you can really kind of separate yourself from the pack, especially once you're able to start stacking classes, you know, three, four, five years at a time. So I like what Brent Venables is doing, and we'll uh, we'll see if this can't translate into wins this upcoming fall. Absolutely, and we'll have a chance to dive in a little bit more deeper yeah, for as sure. the spring continues. Let's transition to some baseball talk. And I, I just want to pause and appreciate that baseball is so front and center in a lot of Sooners' yes. minds right now. Um, you know, you've got... Uh, you know, baseball only podcast like our friends with Johnny Baseball and Brandon uh, Schultz over at the Oklahoma Baseball Experience. Now um, you've got uh, some bigger crowds going to some of those games, 1,700 in attendance on Saturday against TCU. And uh, it's just a big difference from where we were probably a year ago. Uh, if, if anyone was listening a year ago, you might remember the Adams Optimism segment, which was basically <laughs> – uh, just we put baseball at the end of the podcast because it wasn't as high interest as maybe other sports. Now here we are talking about it second. And Adam's optimism was a special segment of baseball talk where I just had to be a little bit more optimistic <laughs> about baseball because, you know, I wasn't always super optimistic about it. But I think there's a lot to be excited about. And OU gets their their first, uh, you know, series win in the Big 12 this year, the opener against TCU. Uh, TCU came in number 11, according to D1 Baseball. They actually dropped all the way out of the rankings after the, the the series lost to the Sooners. But OU finds a way. They scrapped their way to victories here. The bats weren't exactly helping them out the way they wanted it to, and they got down you know, 0-1 on Friday night, but battled back. And, and, and you had 
Um, you know, Braxton Douthat have a, a really great game on, on Saturday, um, leading the charge there with an extended outing on the mound. Um, and you found a way to, to claw out that victory and hold TCU to, I think, two hits on Saturday. And, and then Sunday you finish it off uh, coming from behind in that seventh and eighth inning with a little bit more traditional offensive game that OU is more used to with that chaos and some of just the, um, you know, the errors that were forced, you know, on TCU and the stolen bases and so on and so forth. I'm um, just finding different ways to win, I think was was super impressive for the Sooner Ball Club this past weekend. Fast forward to the rubber match on Sunday. The bullpen holds TCU to just two runs in the final five innings to keep Oklahoma in, in it. And then you've got clutch timely hitting from guys like John Spikerman and Anthony McKenzie. Uh, that was a big-time series win and a huge start to Big 12 play for Oklahoma, taking two out of three from a, a ranked TCU squad. Now, as we record right now, Oklahoma is taking on Dallas Baptist at home. Uh, that game is currently in progress. And, you know, Adam, if Oklahoma uh, can continue to build momentum, you know, win your midweek game uh, against your non-conference opponent, kind of springboard you into this upcoming series when Oklahoma travels to Manhattan going on the road to take on the Kansas State Wildcats. You know, you've got an opportunity th- uh, this upcoming weekend against the Cats to continue to build some momentum, p- win a series, maybe sweep the Cats uh, on the road and, you know, continue – uh, you know, racking up those, you know, those quad one wins. Uh, that way, once it comes time for regional host to, to be set aside, maybe Oklahoma can figure out a way to, uh, you know, at least maybe host or be a top two seed in a favorable region somewhere. Definitely. You know, I, I think OU is kind of their own worst enemy uh, because we talked about last week, hey, if OU can beat TCU the series, they're probably going to be in the top 25. And that still didn't happen. And I think part of that was because, uh, they basically forced TCU out and now TCU kind of has, you know, barely above 500 record. They've played a really tough schedule. Um, so, you know, th- they're battle tested. OU on the other hand, hasn't played a whole lot of good teams. Um, you know, most of the teams they played are, are kind of, you know, a hundred or more in the RPI at this point, Dallas Baptist would be a nice win. They're, they're number 90 yeah. K state's not very high in the RPI. I don't think that, um, that's going to be a great measuring stick. So I think it's going to be really important for OU to go out, you know, at least do two out of three. You, you can't walk out of Manhattan with a, a loss uh, there because K-State's not a very good program, in my opinion. They went on the road in their opener. They lost to Baylor. Um, you know, Baylor was able to take two out of three in Waco. And Baylor, in my opinion, is one of the bottom five power uh, four baseball programs in the entire country right now. Wow. Um, we say power four in baseball because the big 10 doesn't really count. <laughs> They're not really a baseball conference due to the weather, but um, you know, it's, it's something that I think you go on the road. K state stats are not really how you're going to be able to define or measure at this point, how good that program is. They really haven't played anybody good. Um, and the teams that they're just, you know, absolutely destroying right now are these <sighs> tiny little colleges that no one's ever heard of. They're <sighs> flying out to Manhattan, Kansas and getting beat 20 to four. Um, yeah. So the Wildcats is a team that OU needs to dispose of, and they should be able to to get a sweep, in my opinion. I don't think that's unreasonable to ask for. And then, like you mentioned, get that momentum in the midweek. Um, you know, as they're, as they're playing right now, tied up with Dallas Baptist, that'd be a quality win. Uh, coming back from Manhattan, you're going to get Wichita State, a little bit of a revenge game in Wichita. You know, that can be another propellant that's going to give you that momentum. Hopefully, going into a, a series against a top ten program in Stanford, where you know, cross our fingers, we get good weather and we yes. get a great crowd coming out to the Dale for. Uh, for that matchup. So um, opportunities, you know, all across the schedule here for this program to set up really nicely and and set Uh yourself in a position where maybe you could be that host of a regional going forward. 
Yeah, Kansas State thirteen and seven on the year. You you go down and you look at the schedule uh, of who this team has played. The the record and the statistics uh, for this bunch is a little bit inflated based on the you know the inferior competition that they faced. You know the the first twenty games of the season coming off of a series loss in Waco to Baylor. Nothing really jumps off the page at them when you look at this team. Uh, you know both in the lineup but also in the pitching staff as well. They got a couple of guys you know hitting in that two ninety five to three hundred five range. Decent arms on the mound, but they're seven and know at home to start the year and Oklahoma's coming to town so Skip Johnson's group is going to have to you know be ready to go from the jump on Friday night go up there win a series against the Wildcats keep building the momentum and you set yourself up for like you said Adam a big time you know ranked versus ranked potential matchup against the top 10 Stanford team that's going to be making their way out to Eldale Mitchell Park you know one week from uh, from this upcoming Friday so I like where Skip Johnson's crew is at right now you talked about it earlier scrappy guys that you know this team is just finding it finding more and more ways to grind out uh, grind out games and figure out a way at the very end to win it so uh, that's something that Oklahoma was able to do successfully uh, quite often at the end of last season, and it's nice to see that they're you know kind of picking up where they where they're uh, they've left off, and uh, we'll see if they can't ride that momentum uh, up in K State. And we're seeing that live as we speak. I kind of hate doing the live podcast <laughs> yeah, as games are going on, but OU you know gets in a 3 hole against Dallas Baptist in the first inning tonight. Um, just had a sack fly to take the lead five four in the bottom of the six. So um, I think that's something that is is a recipe that's. Uh, repeatable it's 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 something yeah. that you can rely upon um even though you're manufacturing runs manufacturing yeah. exactly you're not going to have uh, i think i'll use like maybe last or close to last in the big 12 and like doubles and, and home runs so it's not a power hitting team but um, man they, they have great on base percentage so um you you love that and, and there's there's still a higher ceiling for this team to achieve too you've got guys like aaron weber and, and dakota harris really shining right now but you know spikerman nicholas we know that they can do more so um, I, I think you got you got to enjoy that and love where this baseball program is right now because they still have room to to get better. Going down uh, the street a little bit, <laughs> softball didn't happen at, in Norman this past weekend. It was up in Oklahoma City. Some good crowds, over four thousand in attendance for a couple yeah, of those games. Cold. Despite the weather being, yeah. mis- it was miserable down at baseball uh, where I was on Saturday. Um, so it was even more impressive that four thousand were in attendance up in Oklahoma City. OU racks up a couple of top twenty five wins against Northwestern Auburn almost ho-hum it's like man were those teams even ranked because oh you really just didn't have any problem disposing of either of those programs well adam it feels like it's the same song different verse each of the last three seasons that we've been doing this podcast where it feels like every single week when we come on to do an episode during softball we're really just pretty much recapping okay oh you softball you know uh, undefeated on the weekend kick the shit out of them you know racking up the home runs uh pitching staff is dominant you know uh, it, but again, it just it just you know speaks upon the the dominance and the the culture and the the championship mindset that Patty Gasso has built with this OU softball program. Like I said, twenty seven and one on the year, nineteen game winning streak, twelve ranked top twenty five wins, sixteen of those victories uh, this season are in run rule fashion. And Adam, here's the craziest stat to me of all: Oklahoma softball is outscoring their opponents two hundred and fifty two. To 24. That means Oklahoma is scoring 10 to 11 runs to every one run that they give up from from their pitching staff. So, like I said, the lineup collectively hitting 400 as a team. That's number one in the country. 33 points higher than the second place team in Marshall. And you know, Adam, when you talk about 
uh, elite performances individually. You got to start with Jada Coleman and what she did up in Oklahoma City this past weekend, hitting over 500. Uh, she's got a .639 on base percentage. That's just stupid. Any way you want to slice it, she's got to be the favorite for not just Big 12 Player of the Year, in my opinion, but she's got to be one of the front runners for National Player of the Year as we as we sit here right now. So with what she's doing at the plate, but with also what she's doing in the field with her glove backing up, you know that pitching staff uh, that Oklahoma's got dominating right now. Uh, I feel like we say it every single weekend. They're kicking ass, taking names, uh, and it's pretty much, okay, who's next? Who wants it now? Yeah, good for Jada Coleman. Uh, she's yes. really just taken on that star role of this team, in my opinion. And, uh, you know, Tiara Jennings was was my girl at the beginning of the year thinking, hey, she could put up stats, you know, in line with with Jocelyn Allo. It really hasn't panned out. doesn't mean that she's had a bad year. She's still hitting, I think, 435 or something crazy. So no big deal. Still, still really good, but um, Jada Coleman's been just that much better um, with, with some of her hitting. So that's really impressive. She got Big 12 Player of the Week uh, this week. I, you mentioned it, it's kind of like, okay, what do you really talk about with this team? Because they just destroy pretty much everyone in play. And even if they do drop a game here or there, you're like, whatever. Like they're going to turn around and annihilate the next team they play. So there's no worry or concern about, you know, this team probably until they even go to Oklahoma City for the World Series. I think what's actually an interesting storyline for me is that you had 4,000 in attendance in a awful weather conditions really this past weekend. Um, you, you get Texas that's already mentioned as a sellout. Now, I don't know what that means exactly because I don't think that they had any outfield seating this past weekend. Nope. Um, like we are nor, you know, expecting for the world series. So I wonder what that will be like for Texas. I just checked on StubHub to get in for that game. Resale value is, is already $37. I think that's pretty healthy for a softball program. And yeah. we'll see what a sell it is. I'm guessing around 6,000, but um, stripe the stadium for that game. Uh, and you see some other big game elements coming into play for softball. The matchup last weekend against Florida State had a scene setter from Toby Rowland. Some things that you don't normally get for softball games, but the magnitude of this fan base really embracing this program and, and the nation as a whole just embracing college softball, I think is really interesting and exciting to see. Yeah, and I think that one of the other things that's interesting about this too, Adam, is I don't think that we're going to have to wait until postseason play to to find out a little bit more about this Oklahoma softball team because you've got two other conference opponents in Texas and Oklahoma State, both of which are top 10 teams. Yes, I know that Texas has struggled a little bit over the last couple of weeks, losing a couple of games that they probably shouldn't have, but still a top 10 team. And then just, you know, just up the road, just up I-35 in Stillwater, you've got the number two ranked team in the country in the, uh, in the Cowgirls uh, of Oklahoma State. So what a Pretty damn good accomplishment for the state of Oklahoma. The two best teams in collegiate softball uh, are just about 80 miles apart from one another in the state of Oklahoma. So, But again, you've got the matchup uh, not this upcoming weekend. They go to Iowa State. They go up to Ames this weekend. But one week from this upcoming Friday, you've got the matchup in Oklahoma City against Texas. And then you close it out over you know Saturday and Sunday coming back to Marita Hines Field uh, for the final two games of that series. So if you can figure out a way, and again, if you can sweep Texas, that just keeps this train going right on down, you know, right on down the tracks, and that really kind of highlights. And you know, you start looking ahead. You know, we can afford to do that as fans, and, and you know, as media people, we can start looking down the pipeline of what could that could we possibly have one versus two in Stillwater towards the very end of the regular season? That would be phenomenal content, not just for collegiate softball, not just for Oklahoma, not just for Oklahoma State, uh, you know, but for you know 
NCAA softball as a whole. So it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. And uh, I'm not betting against Patty's squad. Like I said, wouldn't surprise me uh, if they run the table and uh, make this thing not very competitive. It feels like that's a lock that it's going to be a one versus two matchup in Stillwater. Oh, it's got to uh, be. I mean, who, outside be. of what Baylor and Texas, I mean, who really is going to challenge? You know, uh, the the Pokes uh, and the and the Sooners. I, I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. A matchup that was not one versus two, but was four versus five was Oklahoma basketball last yes. night against UCLA, and uh, it, OU got down pretty early. Um, 18 points, I think, was the deficit in the second quarter. I thought for sure I was going to be able to just say it's over. Uh, I'm going to go get in bed and not stay up too late last night. Uh, but shame on me for counting this team out because anytime a Jenny Baranchek <laughs> team is 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 on the court, you know they have the fast paced nature of play and the outside shooting that they can catch up pretty quickly. And that, sure enough, they did it in the third quarter. Um, Ana Yunusa really spurred on a lot of that uh, third quarter comeback. Uh, she had 15 total points in the game, but really, I think what she saw was OU got matched up with a team that had a lot more height than they did, a lot more length. Uh, that caused a lot of problems in that first half. Way yep. too many turnovers, um, too many you know bad passes, and when OU did have an open look. Um, just weren't making them really in the first half. That changed a lot yeah. in the third quarter. Um, but overall, that length, and, and then there was certainly an athleticism advantage for UCLA that ended up winning out in the end. And so OU's season comes to an end to the Bruins, uh, and a second-round exit from the NCAA tourney. Um, you, you know, we're all really proud of this basketball program. I think it was a, another great year. Um, it was an exciting team to watch, and um, you love to see some of those players that – we're on some really bad Sherry Cole teams early yes. in their career, stick around and, and reap the rewards of their hard work while sticking around in Norman. Yeah. I hate to say it, Adam, it's not something that I'm proud of, but once Oklahoma got, you know, fell behind by double digits, switched, switched it over to YouTube, started watching old masters highlights. Uh, that's a couple weeks away. We'll talk about that once that time actually comes, but yeah, um, incredible fight from this team. They were going into a Hornets less last night, you know, playing UCLA in Los Angeles on their home floor. You fall behind 13 points at half. Then you fight back from 18 points down in the third, third quarter. You take the lead going into the final period. And I think it was George Stoya. Uh, and again, another Stoya shout out. I think he said last night, UCLA scored 24 points in the final six minutes on just one field goal. The other 22 points came from the free throw line in the final six minutes. So the, uh, uh, it, it was just, uh, I don't want to spend too much time talking about this, but I, I, I think that I want to look at this from a, you know, from a 10,000 foot level, look at the, the big picture with what Jenny Baranchek has been able to do in two years, you know, coaching the OU women's basketball team in the final four years that I'm going to throw a stat at you in the final four years of the Sherry Cole's tenure in Oklahoma, she was 48 and 67 missed the NCAA tournament her final three seasons and never finished better than sixth in the Big 12. Fast forward to the Jenny Baranchik era that, that uh, you know started two years ago. In her first two seasons as head coach, 51-16, two NCAA tournament appearances, and a Big 12 championship. The future, I know it stings right now. You never want to lose, you know, especially in the postseason. It, you know, that was a hard-fought effort, uh, big-time battle against UCLA. The future is incredibly bright for this women's basketball program, and I don't know how you can't be excited about the direction and the trajectory that Jenny B and her daughter got to give a shout out to, uh, to to Jordy. What what a cool thing that was last night, seeing uh, her you know kind of go viral on social media. But yeah, I don't I don't know how you can't be uh, a fan of OU athletics or OU women's basketball and not be excited about the trajectory that Jenny B's got this program on right now. 
I agree wholeheartedly with everything you just said and the turnaround and, and I'm super no, but do not excited do on all of this. Uh, My question is, am I still allowed to be a little bit disappointed in how this season came to a conclusion? Because I really did do think that oh, you had an opportunity to push for a host and that's something they got last year. They didn't get this year ends up being about the same result. You didn't get, you know, trounced by Notre Dame on your home court like last season, but um, obviously you would have liked to say, Hey, we hosted a, another round and three number one seats went down uh, in that first two rounds. Only South Carolina made it to the sweet 16. Yeah, so that's who Oklahoma would have. <laughs> it, it, played, would have so. it, it would have, but if maybe if OU had been good enough to host their own, uh, you know, four seed in the first couple of rounds, maybe yeah. you would have been facing an eight or nine seed, you know, for example, in the, in the sweet 16. And I, I really do think that there is so much, you know, talent, uh, it definitely needs to be raised, but there's enough talent. There's enough experience on this team that I was really hoping there could have been maybe an elite eight or possibly a final four type run in them, but, um, just couldn't, couldn't beat, you know, the, the Iowa States of the world to really propel themselves into that host. So I am extremely excited about where this program is. The direction they're going is super bright. I do think some, some meat was left on the bone for this year. And I'll agree with that. And I think that one other thing going into next season that I know that Jenny Baranchek's never going to talk about how we're going to treat this as a rebuilding year or this is an opportunity for us to kind of hit the reset button because, you know, you're losing three of probably the the better players that this program has seen in probably the last decade or so in Taylor Robertson, Maddie Williams, and Anna Iannusa. Uh, Oklahoma is going to have a lot of production to replace. So we know that they're, uh, you know, they're, they're doing good in the recruiting space. You know, I'm not going to say that us here at the mainline, we follow OU women's basketball uh, or NCAA women's basketball recruiting by any strange to the imagination, but you, you go on there and you look and you hear what Jenny has to say about the girls that she's got coming in along with what they might be able to do, you know, in the years coming, you know, after the fact, you got to be excited about what uh, the direction of this basketball program. You just have to hope and pray that Jenny can go out there and land some young talent that can come in and, you know, build upon the foundation and the standard that, you know, Taylor and Maddie and Anna, you know, have laid out uh, in the first two, two seasons of, uh, of Jenny's time here in Norman. Yeah. There is a uh, former five-star transfer from Louisville that's uh, coming to OU. Uh, or I, I don't know if she was, I don't know why she'd be sitting out this year, but I know she did transfer to OU. So drop a um, bag. <laughs> yeah. Drop the bag. So uh, bright days certainly ahead for women's basketball. And that's going to draw a conclusion for this week's episode of the mainline podcast. We greatly enjoy uh, and appreciate everyone listening to us. We even had a few listeners uh, DM us on Twitter this week, um, just letting us know how much they enjoy the pod. So uh, we always uh, appreciate the feedback there. And if you enjoy it, let us know. We'd be happy to hear from you, whether it be, uh, DM, DMing us on Twitter or leaving us a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcast. We, we greatly appreciate that. Uh, until next week for another episode, we will see everyone then for another edition of the Mainline Podcast. Podcast.